Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Welcome to episode 192 of Smart Enough to Know Better. We are a podcast of science. And comedy. And ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. And I'm Greg Wah. And, and in this episode... Oh, sorry. Uh, for now, and in for this ep- Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. We've still got a couple of episodes left to get this right. <laughs> <laughs> and in this episode... And in this episode, I'll teach you what you can do with your deep throat. <laughs> And are you allergic to love? Then I'll explain how dangerous Corona is. And I don't mean the beer. But before we get there, Gregoire, what happened to you this week in science? I went out with some friends and had a really nice night and sort of went out and sort of had a few drinks and went from to bar hopping and went all sorts of cool places, lots of cool people, had a really lovely time. And... At one of the places we ended up at, it was a cool rooftop bar here in Perth in Western Australia, and there was a DJ doing their DJ thing, and there was all these people bouncing up and down when we turned up, and and I was actually, I had a really good time bouncing up and down with them. It was, it was really good. Is that a euphemism? No, no, no. People were dancing, Dan. Just oh, dancing. Yeah, gotcha. I was actually impressed with this DJ because I think that they had a pretty good idea of the age of the crowd who was there. Because when we got there, there was certain music playing, which I was aware of, but I understand it's more more modern music, more now. Very, oh very, my very God, you're aware of modern music? Well, I'm yes. not aware of modern music at all. Because <laughs> there was a lot of younger people there, probably in their 20s, and they're doing, they're having a great time. And then uh, as the night progressed... The music shifted and some, some songs are just, you know, dancing queen, that sort of stuff. Even though they're really old songs, they, they keep coming around and around. But I noticed that the era of music was shifting and I looked around and went, Oh yes, we're a bit, the younger people seem to have left as much or not as many of them. And now there's more people have come a bit older and the music, I think he's shifting the music or maybe the music was such that it made all the young people age. And you all met up in middle age. Maybe that's true. Or they were changing the music and the young people were like, we're out of here. There's old, old music. Maybe. Look, it's, you don't know which one, which was doing, but I was, I think that I was very impressed with the DJ and what they were doing and good, a good range. You go, Oh, I don't like this one. And then, then they were more, but I like this one. I was like, actually super impressed with this person. Like they did their job really well to keep the party pumping. But at one point there was a song that came on and we didn't get the whole song. Sometimes there were remixes and they would, they would like morph in and out of songs and you know, it wasn't just play music, play music, play music. And a song started. It's a very well known song. And the moment I heard it at that point, I was standing at a table chatting to people, well, yelling loudly in their ear while we all nodded and pretended we could hear each other, but still having a wonderful time. And Lots of low note, not too much treble. Make sure there's plenty of deep notes. I discovered I can get myself understood really clearly in those sort of areas. I think it's because you just you pitch your voice lower. And, of course, I use my diaphragm or my unholy acting talent and I can make myself heard. Uh, also, very, you keep very- saying the same thing three times. <sighs> Don't be mean, Dan. Don't be mean. <laughs> Don't be like that. That's only on podcasts. When I'm with people, I put a lot more effort into it. Ow! Because <laughs> I want to impress them. Uh, oh, that's going to hurt when I edit it too. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, oh, man. Oh, I'm sorry. But this song started playing and I started watching the crowd and saying, oh, 
are they going to do what I think they're going to do? Is it going to happen? And I really went into some weird watching the wildebeest by the water's edge kind of moment and, and taking notes. So I'm going to play. I want you to listen. I, to want, hang on, I wonder if I can guess it. Is it Slice of Heaven by Dave Dobbin? No. No. Okay. Okay. That's, that was my one guess. <laughs> one guess. Do you mean, do you mean like the what? No, the, I don't even know what the song is. Slice of Heaven. Yeah. Her love shine. That's it. Why seems like would a, you? Why would you think that would be something that would play at a nightclub and then that everyone would do something? I told you I haven't listened to new music. What are you? That was the. the I just remember it. But it seems like a real, real fun song. I thought people. It just, is a fun song. I'm not against the song. Everyone would just song. start singing along. Okay, everyone's dancing, Dan. Everyone's already dancing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Everyone's dancing. It's not the dancing that what you didn't get people up. People were dancing on the dance floor. Everyone's having a grand time. Then this started to play. <laughs> Mamma mia, mamma mia. Mamma mia, let me go. Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me. For me. For me. And this is the point. This is the point. He's doing the head thing. So, exactly yeah. right. So, Dan just started. So, so the audience. Exactly. And so, Dan, you just started doing the exact same thing that everyone in that, in that auditorium did. Auditorium. The, in the, in the nightclub did. They, they all started headbanging. Everyone started You've headbanging. Been hanging out with scientists too much. And, uh, auditorium. So, so it was people my age and older and it was, and the people younger and everyone was headbanging at that time, uh, which, and I was fascinated by this because where does that come from, Dan? Comes from Wayne's World, right? Wayne's World, the movie Wayne's World, and that's what it's I was like, thinking. When, and it's that like came out in the n- most famous scene in Wayne's World, where they're all sitting in the car singing along yep. to Bohemian Rhapsody, and and that was came out in 1992. It was 30 years ago, and I sat there going, "There are people here who weren't even alive when Wayne's World came out, and there are some people I was with." on that night who were only just alive. Some of them weren't alive when Wayne's World came and every one of them headbanged. And I laughed. I was just saying, I found it wonderful that everyone did this. And I turned to the group people. I went, isn't that hilarious? It's such, everyone seems to know Wayne's World. And two people went, what's Wayne's World? Of course they did. And I sat but back on my this, heels. This is and went, how mimetic information is passed. Exactly. And I was really fascinated by this. So we had a conversation and some people at the table, uh, there's like 10 people and some had seen it, some hadn't. Some, and then and people were like, is that where it comes from? And I'm like, I think it is. And we had a very interesting conversation about, well, yelled, screaming conversation about where the heck this came from. And I realized that it had passed through society, culturally passed information that when you hear Bohemian Rhapsody, when you get to that point, you have to headbang. It is built into, well, Western culture of a certain era, but even people who've never seen it. And it made me think about the very famous story about the five monkeys experiment. So have you heard of the five monkeys experiment? Is that where Bruce Willis only traveled a couple of years back in time? <laughs> That's right. You may no. It's, it's the experiment where. Wait, 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 wait. No, hang on. Is, let, let, let me take another crack at the joke. Okay, please, 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 please. Is, 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 is that the monkeys that can, can't see or hear or speak no evil, but they also can't smell any evil and they can't, uh, they can't use telepathy to understand any evil. <laughs> they haven't got a kinesthetic, kinesthetic sense. I don't know where their evil is behind their back when they can't see it either. Yeah, um, their sense of evil balance is not there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the five monkeys experiment is this experiment where they put, put a ladder in the center of the room and they put a 
people scientists and they put a banana on it and then they put some monkeys in the room and we've talked about the podcast before if 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 a monkey tried to climb up the ladder then they would get electric shock from the ladder and then you slowly take the monkeys out of the room so one by one and put new monkeys in and, and you stop shocking them as well and in the end there's no more shock and there are no monkeys who are ever there when they saw someone get shocked or monkey get shocked or ape get shocked but they still stop the other monkeys from going up the ladder so it's passed on cultural knowledge. It's, it's, don't do this thing. And I went, this is exactly what it is. I went, oh my goodness, it's, it's Wayne's World is that writ large. I was super excited when I realized what I was watching here was we're the monkeys and Wayne's World is the electric shock or it's the banana. I'm not too sure which one is which. It's like so, a Pavlov's head banging. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, you ring, you ring Freddie Mercury, and then we all start head banging. Exactly right. This was really, really, really cool. And I was like, I looked up, and I was like, I find the information about the five monkey experiment, and then I discovered the five monkey experiment never happened. It's not a real thing. They didn't electrocute a bunch of monkeys. Nope. It not is in this not, one. It's a real experiment, but it is not actually monkeys. Oh, they used kids. They used little kids. No, they didn't. No, no. The experimenter who actually did this experiment. So this is used a lot in business as, hey, don't follow the crowd, everyone. You know, strike your own kind of way of being real cool about stuff. Is It's not true. So this is something that someone looked at an old experiment. Now, what they did, there was no, there was no ladder. So G.R. Stevenson did an experiment with monkeys. That's very true. But what he did was he had a room and he had some objects and he had some monkeys who were habituated to fear a certain object, like a spatula or something like that, well before the experiment, and then put some spatulas in the room and went to see if when he put that scared monkey, would it be scared of the spatula? Well, yes, it's scared of the spatula. He put another monkey in the room and he was trying to see if if that fear would actually pass from one monkey to the other, even though the other monkey would never be habituated. What he discovered was... It's a bit of a crapshoot. Some monkeys... Monkeys love ice and cakes. It's... With a spatula? Yeah, that's what a spatula's for. Isn't a spatula for, for taking things off like a flipper? It's like an egg flipper. That, Isn't that a spatula? No, that's an egg flip. No, no, that's it's a spatula. A, I mean, a spatula is a big plastic knife for icing a cake. No, it's not. It's, it's the thing you use to scrape things off pans. Nah. Nah. I... I'm a, okay, we, we'll come back to that because that's... Well, we just don't have enough work of shame, so I'm just really... Yeah, cool. All right, okay, I'm I really see. staking my flag here. All right, okay, cool. Now, I think a spatula is a handled object with grooves in it that you use to get things out of pans. You think it's no, something to, to no, take... No, 100% to- disagree. That's absolutely not the case. Prove me wrong, listeners. <laughs> I'm, I'm very confused. So the monkey, what they discovered though with the monkeys is sometimes the non-habituated monkey would become scared of the spatula because his friend was like, oh, I'm scared of the spatula. But sometimes, just as often, the scared monkey would learn from the non-scared monkey not to be frightened of the spatula. So what they learned was there's no, you can't train. There's no direction. There's no direction. You don't really know. So really the the five monkeys, hey, there's only two monkeys. There was no electric shocks. Was, what they learned was you can't definitely pass on cultural knowledge through monkeys in the way that the five monkey experiments said they said it was. So that's really cool. So we've broken that one now. We, now we know that never happened, but definitely Wayne's World happens. And I said to myself, wait, is it Wayne's World? Are we certain it's Wayne's World? Or is this like just something they might else? have picked it up from somewhere else. I did some research, and it's just lucky that this year is the 30th year of Wayne's World, just totaled by chance, by the way. So wow. 
It's 30 years since Wayne's World, and there's a great article I read by Penelope Cirrus, who was the director of Wayne's World, mm-hmm. and discussing all the ins and outs of it after 30 years. And they say, well, yes, it was always going to be Bohemian Rhapsody. Some people say it was going to be Guns N' Roses. It was never going to be that way. Now, she said, yes, it comes from Wayne's World. This is a cultural phenomena. But really, it came originally from a 1987 movie she directed called Dudes, where they do a very similar thing, but to Hava Nagila. Hava Nagila, Hava Nagila. And they headbang to Hava Nagila. Now, I watch that and you say, ah, I can see what you're saying. You're the director, but it's not the same joke. It's like the proto version. So I still think it's Wayne's World. So Wayne's World did it. She may have had the idea originally on a lesser level in an older movie five years earlier, but then she brought it back again and did it, inverted commas, properly. Or and and this, this is movie. about it happening specifically with Bohemian Rhapsody too. Yes, that's right. And headbanging too. And no one's headbanging to Harvard Nagila. That's, that's not happening. Like that's not thing that's gotten into popular culture. Anyway, my week in science is that humans have passed on culturally that you have to headbang to Bohemian Rhapsody and we all seem to do it. And I really excited. I'm going to keep an eye on this now. Every 10 years, I'm going to come try and just weirdly hang out in clubs. And I'm going to see if Bohemian Rhapsody makes people headbang. Cause I'm wondering how long it lasts. What's the, the longevity l- yeah. of the headbang? Cause it's still strong after 30 years. I'm guessing younger people have parents who headbanged to Bohemian Rhapsody because of Wayne's World. And there are all sorts of jokes that sort of live on for decades and decades that there's no no longer any context. People will still say, have lines from comedy ads from the 80s. People will respond to a phone call and say, oh, that'll be the phone, right? Love? Yes. Uh, Reg? Yeah. Love? Reg? Yeah. Or, or, or uh, where's happy, the- Jan. Or where's the beef? Yeah, yeah. What? Are, yeah, that's no one has any idea what the, what this stuff is. Exactly right. But some people, you may still kind of know them. These memes, these like the, the proto memes. What's up? Uh, yes, yes. And but some of them die, and I'm guessing this one will die. Anyway, that's my week in science. I was fascinated by watching human culture transfer in action. Discovered the five monkeys experiment wasn't really a five monkey experiment. That Wayne's World wasn't the first place to do it, but kind of was. I am a very interesting person. Party time! Excellent. <sighs> <laughs> How was your week in science, Dan? My week in science? Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Heartwatch. Heartwatch. Mm. Heartwatch. Welcome to Heartwatch, where we keep an eye on the state of Dan's heart so that you don't have to. <laughs> it's still sad. Oh. oh you mean, I, not like a, I, th- I thought it was, had this horrible moment that you'd gone to a doctor or something. and it's like Yeah, no, I'd, and... I'd never do that. Well, only yeah, bad news enough. comes from doctors. Um, you're a middle-aged man. It's a very bad idea. Yeah, no. But uh, no one's telling me that because I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah. That's how you uh, find it, you're sick. I am. My heart is sad. I'm not. I'm fine. But my heart oh, is okay. sad because I'm still oh, not back in my house. Right, they're no. up to the oh. point where they're cleaning it. I told the listeners oh. to get ready. Well, for, those, for those who don't know, do you want to give a backstory for anyone who's just jumped in for the first time? Why on earth would they do that? Well, because people do. They love us, Dan. Okay. They, people well, find from us. seven months ago, several trillion litres of water and faecal matter rushed through mm. my house mm. thanks mm. to the rain in the sky that may or may mm. not be the result of burning fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. They, not Definitely directly, is. obviously, mm. although I'm sure there were some fossil fuels mixed in with that sewage. <laughs> Now, they are up to the point where they're cleaning it out. They've take, nice. ripped off the walls. They've got rid of some of the asbestos. <laughs> Usually, 
They would pressure off the inside of the walls with some sort of disinfecting spray. First, you pull the plasterboard off, then the beams inside will be a consistent size and a consistent material. Our walls appear to have been made in the Depression, and there are, like, chunks of furniture in there that have been cut to, like, measure. Like, some of our beams are, like, arches. Oh, my goodness. Uh, So the cleaners need to do something called dry ice blasting. Now, we've talked about soda blasting before. It's an abrasive material that's fired at a surface to remove the rust and grime. You do this in a warehouse or an outdoor area because afterwards, what you're left with is a bunch of soda. (laughs) Right. Okay, if you did the same thing with water ice, you would instead have water left over. Great for the (laughs) garden, not so great for the walls of my house. Water Mm. makes things delicious for termites. Instead, you use dry ice. When dry ice melts, what residue are you left with, Gregoire? Uh, Carbon dioxide floating away into the atmosphere. Mm. Trick question. Dry ice doesn't melt. Well, it sublimates. Sublimates. It sublimates. Sublimates. You got me. me. I got ya. You got me. So, you shoot tiny pellets at the wall. (laughs) It's rough, so it pushes material away with kinetic Mm. force. It sublimates into the air, not leaving any residue. But it's mm-hmm. doing some other cool stuff too. We should say sublimation, for those who don't know, sublimation means it goes from solid to gas without going through a liquid phase in between. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But our listeners are all smart. They work I'm that out sure. from context on it. I, <laughs> Just making sure. Just making sure. I don't know. Because there's, there's got to be the dumbest listener out there. Oh. Like, might, might possibly still quite smart. Right. But, but one of our listeners is the dumbest listener. If you think it's you... Write in and tell us why it's you, if you can work out how to send an email. <laughs> what are we doing, Dan? What are we doing? Sh- shooting across listeners' bowels. Obviously so. We like to annoy our All listeners. Right. They're not even going so, for it. Dry ice blasting. It's very cold, so it freezes various mm. bacteria. Mm. Sadly, this has little effect on them. Mm. Now, bacteria do hate heat. Heat bacteria up and it kills them. We've known this for many years. It's a, a crucial part of food preparation. Yes. Louis Pasteur, thank you very much. Thank you, Louis. If you slow freeze bacteria, you can disrupt the cell membrane, and this ruins some of them, like a lot of them. Well, if you're suddenly your insides are now trying to get to the outside because there's no skin, it's also for humans. You do have a human. You remove a human's oh, skin, 100% and suddenly for humans. all the bits fall out, and it's, yeah. everyone's cr- screaming, and then you're being you're a monster, and it's a whole thing. Look, there's only slow freezing for humans. We are too mm. big to snap freeze. Mm. So if you snap freeze bacteria, you put them into stasis. If you slow freeze them, some of them crystallize, some of them freeze fast enough that they're fine. Right. Dry ice will more than likely snap freeze them. They will no longer grow, but they'll stay dormant until they awaken, just like in your refrigerator. (laughs) So why hit it with dry ice? Well, carbon dioxide that goes from solid to gas does something very interesting, Gregoire. It destroys the – heats up the planet (laughs) – Oh yeah, heat. no, yeah, it goes into the atmosphere and creates. Yeah, that. no, that's yeah. that's that's sort of later in the process. Right, okay. Right, but if right, it goes, right. if it's going from a solid to a yes. gas, it, it expands. It, it expands it, it, a much bigger volume. Yes, it, very bigger, lots bigger, mm. seven hundred mm. times its size, mm. and that means that tiny hit pieces of ice are hitting the surface. The kinetic energy heats it up when it impacts, and it mm. expands into gas. It's like tiny explosions on the surface. Of your surface. This disrupts the substrate that the bacteria are thriving on. So if you've got like all this goo in the crevices, the bacteria love it in there. The dry ice 
explodes the goo out and allows chemical sanitizers to be introduced into all the nooks and crannies. Ooh. As an aside, do you know what the difference between a nook and a cranny is? A nook and a cranny. I'm going to say a nook is like a hole, like a like a nail hole, like that's a, like, like a like a pit, and a cranny is more of a crevice, like a long crevice. That's oh, my you're guess. half right. Ooh, a nook is where two or more walls meet, but Ooh. not in a way that creates an extra room. So if like you've got a, a fireplace, nook. and on the side of the book, pl- the fireplace is like a, the wall of the bookplace and the wall. That little corner there is a nook. Ooh. It's an area that's not a part. It's sort of a an unintentionally designated area in a room. Okay, got okay. But a cranny, yes, is a is a, a fissure that opens up in a surface. Mm. So currently, my house is ninety eight percent crannies, just <laughs> crannies everywhere, <laughs> as far as the eye can see. <laughs> Technically, your house is one big nook as well. Then, <sighs> heart watch, heart watch, heart watch. Oh. Uh, we chatted about throat mics and we mm. chatted about how they work before giving up and realising that we neither of us had any idea how they work. <laughs> this is true. We did, yes. So I had a look in- into Ooh. it. So the laryngophone or contact microphone straps onto your neck. It detects the vibration in your larynx and the glottal mm. stops really effectively. But it also picks up the resonance that's created closer to the lips. It's kind of like a trombone. The horn bit is where all the resonance comes from, but it travels back down through the rest of the instrument. The whole thing is like a a system. So it doesn't matter where the resonance happens because it's resounding. Yeah, right. Okay. And so (laughs) that sound will still tremble the neck. And it can pick that up. Yes. Hmm. Because, yeah, if you, you put a microphone put it, on on the horn of a trombone, you'd be able to detect the note. But if you put it next to the lips, you'd still be able to detect it because the whole thing is resonating. That's yeah. what resonance is. But here's my question then. If I did this and just kind of whispered, is that enough? Or do I have to actually activate my larynx, make, you know, start vibrating stuff, which is a different sound? If I just do this, is that enough? Or do it, can I just go? You can't actually uh, you can't hear this, of course. But I'm, I'm making lip gestures. I, I think... The answer is later, and if it's not, hopefully the audience will forget they didn't know the answer. (laughs) Okay, go. Now, there are some sounds that don't really come through clearly at all, like the puzz and t sounds that you need the Mm -hmm. teeth and the lips to do, but the human brain is really good at pattern matching. You've heard that only 17% of human communication is speech. Well, Mm -hmm. a a significant amount of that is the resonance and tone and glottal stops. So let's take a listen. This is... uh to be wrong with XT. I'm testing a throat mic. So now I'm speaking at normal volume. And now I am whispering. So hope you can uh, understand what I'm saying here. That was really interesting. So he the he went from talking normally with the with the throat mic to whispering and I couldn't really tell the difference when until he started saying, I am whispering. I wouldn't have known he was whispering. Mm. It just sounded like he was talking both times through a bad radio, like a bad radio connection, like back in the good old days of not the best mics in the world. But actually, you, I understood him perfectly. Oh, really? I yeah. found it quite garbled, and I probably oh. would have had to practice for a while to really make out what he was saying. Oh, okay. No, no, I had no problem understanding him at all. Good. <laughs> Good. I work with students. Maybe I'm just used to garbled, unintelligible Maybe. speech. 
Maybe. We, we, we work together for 11 years, Dan, so maybe I'm just used to it from here. <laughs> More shots. More shots fired. Uh, throat mics were used in World War II by both sides. It's very helpful for loud environments like planes or motorcycles. New tech allows it to be used in whisper mode, so you can barely make noise at all and still be heard on the receiving end. Uh, but there are other situations where you might want a throat mic. Mm. If, for instance, you're a beatboxer, you've got some bass sounds that don't really occur at your lips. So if you've got a speaker strapped to your neck, you're going to be covered at that end of your instrument. Mm. Mm. Okay. <laughs> uh, there are also some diseases that make speaking harder, stuff like muscular dystrophy or Parkinson's or MS. Mm. All of these degenerative diseases make it harder to be understood. Your tongue doesn't work as well. Your volume decreases. But a throat mic can bump up your ability to be heard and understood. And that's a game changer for some people. Mm. There is also a new device called a molar mic. It's a microphone that sits on your back tooth. <laughs> it picks up the resonance in your mouth and throat and transmits it. But the really clever thing is that the return signal trembles the device. This trembles your jaw. This is called bone <laughs> conduction. It right. resonates while attached to your jaw and your jaw extends back up to right next to your inner ear. Now, we're all <laughs> familiar with the middle ear. Starts with the eardrum. Then you have three bones, the hammer, the anvil, and the wishbone. If, <laughs> if, you, if you snap it, your wish will come true, so long as your wish is long-term hearing loss. <laughs> but this signal runs straight up the bone and goes straight for the cochlea. The resulting sound lacks clarity, but is still effective enough to be understood. Everyone does end up sounding a bit like Charlie Brown's teachers, though. Right. Yes. That's yeah. That's really cool. That's I've I've heard of bone conduction microphones before. That I think they do with hearing aids as well. They they put them into the hearing aid sometimes, attach it permanently to the near the skull, and so and then tremble the skull directly, so that you can get a instead of getting sound through the ear, it just goes into the bone. If there's a problem with the the part of the ear, I guess that's taking sound How in. How would so. that even work? Because it's got to go down the down the cable. Like you can't. Mm -hmm. Put a Down signal into a computer by just putting the signal into the metal box that's next to the cable that goes to the brain. No, no, I don't think it's I don't, not, not shaking the brain. I think it's depending on the damage to the ear, if then this could vibrate the bone and therefore you can get some signal. I don't know. I'm pulling yeah. a very old memory out of somewhere right. and it could be very wrong. But uh, I think, yes, I think they do bone conduction for, for some hearing aids. Cool. If you have yeah. a hearing aid, ring in and tell us. Yeah, yeah, there would totally be people with hearing disabilities who would listen to podcasts. Absolutely. Because so, some, some of that tech is quite clever. <laughs> yes. Although maybe we sound like Charlie Brown's teachers. Oh, my goodness. Do you know how they made that sound? With a trombone? Yeah, they played a trombone with a mute. Oh, wow, that was a guess. Wow, that was a total guess. They just got the mute that goes in the end of it, and they just jammed it in there and sort of went <laughs> with the mute. <laughs> So Dan, when it comes to diseases, you are you're very careful. You yep, uh, yep, always double bag it. You always Jesus. double bag everything at all times. Define yep. it. Define what? Uh, just yeah, again, just two sets of glo rubber gloves, mm -hmm. double masks, a bag over my head. Right. Yep. That helps during the sex when I'm completely no condomed. Right. <laughs> But two bags over my head. That's true. You are a two-bagger. It's it's very, very true. Right. I see what you're saying now. Well, 
In fact, you've accidentally uh, <laughs> gone roughly where I was going with this anyway. So you are, you're very worried about diseases and you're very worried about, some people would say hypochondriac, well, but, I, but then, I wouldn't say, but, 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 but I then, wouldn't say worried. I'm cautious. I don't have to be worried if I'm prepared. Well, and I, I just think- prepare <laughs> a lot constantly all through the night. <laughs> You make basically you create the bunker in New Zealand for diseases. That's what you do. You're constantly like getting ready to just oh, in case. I wish I had a bunker in New Zealand. <laughs> and it <sighs> used to be that people would laugh at you and point behind your back at all times. Oh, look at crazy Dan! Oh, I and wish it's, it was behind my back. And it's, <laughs> and it's hypochondria. And then a little thing called COVID happened, and Dan was like, "I bloody told you! I told all you yep. guys." Turns out, and even they, I'm not washing my hands enough. No, no, we'll blame you. I just want to give you access to another disease that can worry you. And it ties great, in with your great. two bagging. That sounds healthy. <laughs> two, it's, it's part of your two bagging problem that you had before. Mm-hmm. It turns out that it is possible. Well, not just possible. It definitely happens that some people have what's called post-orgasmic illness syndrome. So what oh, it is, no. <laughs> you develop after an orgasm, you will develop within a couple of days flu-like symptoms and allergy symptoms whether you do it with a partner, through masturbation, or even just spontaneously during sleep, which supposedly is something that happens. I didn't know that. Interesting. That seems like a... That, seems that's like called a that wet tell- dream. Well, there you go. I've heard of those before. I've heard of those. I've read about them in books. Symptoms develop within seconds, minutes, or hours after orgasm, and usually last... Seconds. Flu-like and- symptoms after seconds. And usually last two to seven days before going away entirely on their own. Possible symptoms vary from person to person, but more common symptoms include fatigue, weakness, headache, fever, mood changes, memory or coordination problems, stuffy nose, sore throat, itching eyes. But isn't maybe just the sex is really good and that's why you're feeling so tired and the sex is on fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Some of the some of the some of the fluids maybe. I mean, uh-huh. sex is about fluids. It's, it's sex all about is fluids. all about fluids. It's, in fact, in fact, if you think about what sex is actually for, it's about getting as much of a certain fluid into the other human being as possible. I know that's you know there are people who don't do that, and it's, I'm not. It's blah blah blah. There's, but the point of sex is to pass. Originally was to desire to get quality over quantity. And, of course, of course, of course. Um, well, yes, there is that too. I only ejaculate one single artisan sperm. It's <laughs> got a little hat on, a little moustache. But people don't know what is the cause of this post-orgasmic illness syndrome. It mainly happens with men predominantly with men, uh, males mm-hmm. or physically males, whatever you want to call it. Though some people who were born with not testicles then were also can have it, but they're much, 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 much more reduced. They, mm. they do happen. The, there hasn't been a lot of work on this, which surprises me because it was it's a disease for men, but there obviously aren't enough men who get it for them to spend millions of dollars on. So mm. no one's sure. Some scientists believe that it may be an allergic reaction or an autoimmune disorder because it's you're reacting to your own semen. That but seems may- crazy. How do you have a, an immune reaction to something that your own body created? Does that happen this much? What, this, this is what I was thinking, and I was trying to work this out as well. Now, the idea is that maybe one of the ideas, and once again, no one knows, but one of the ideas is because it's genetically different to you enough 
that your body responds to it differently. So because it's only half of your genes. Yes, that's the even though process. there's no other half. Uh, yes, I don't. I'm not. I look. I don't. No one knows. No one knows. Other people think hmm. it's not the genetic material at all. The sperm. It's the seminal fluid. Something in the seminal fluid. Some sort of hormonal thing in the seminal fluid. But that doesn't explain how then people who are physically born female could have it because mm. they don't have either of those things. But maybe it's a different condition with similar thing. We don't know. The answer is we don't know. So really, when it comes down to it, next time you have a cold and you have a rat test or something and you check it's COVID and it's not COVID, think, have I got lucky recently? Maybe you have post-orgasmic illness syndrome. If it's pretty much predominantly only people with testicles, does that make it a proper man flu? Or is it just a man flu all over her chest? Oh, 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 oh. oh very, no. I'm very happy that word works as a verb. Oh, that, oh, I'm actually, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, mischief, huh? Oh, yuck. Uh, now <laughs> everyone feels sick. <laughs> <laughs> Gregoire staring yes. at the sun good or bad real bad real of course bad. of course it's bad you could seriously <laughs> damage your cornea because mm. the rays of the sun will focus on the back of your eyeball and scorch it forever the official smart enough no better advice is instead to unfocus your eyes then you can stare at the sun for hours <laughs> no. Remember, oh. always take health and safety advice from podcasters. <laughs> now, don't, oh, no. if you don't do it properly, you mm. could suffer from eclipse blindness or solar mm. retinopathy. You wouldn't know immediately. There's no pain receptors on the retina. But 12 hours later, you'll realize you can see a spot or more mm. precisely, you can't see a spot. Mm. You may not even see the bit you're missing. You'll just realise that you can't read something or see something. Like your brain wraps what it knows around the thing that it doesn't. Mm -hmm. One other time that it's safe to stare at the sun <laughs> is when it's behind something. If it's nighttime where you are, you could yeah. stare at where the sun is. It's perfectly safe. You don't even need to blur your eyes. That's true. Even And even though all those neutrinos are from the sun are blasting through you, billions of them or millions of them every second, makes no difference. You can just look at it. Yeah. Whether it's on the planet, on the other side of the planet or not, actually, it makes no difference. So you still get the neutrinos, but that's fine. I was talking to an astrophysicist called John Austin. Ooh. Now- there are some caveats. Mm. I didn't actually talk to him. He mm. is just some random on Twitter. Okay. He said he did astrophysics, but again, he is just some random on Twitter. So <laughs> okay. he may have said it whilst not actually meaning it. All right. And finally, he didn't actually say he was an astrophysicist. He <laughs> said he did astrophysics 42 years ago. Ah, right. Okay. Things he have said, changed in the last 42 years. That's true. There'd be a lot of updates. And he said that you shouldn't look at a total solar eclipse with mm -hmm. your bare eyes, your raw eyes. Mm. Yeah, your raw mm. eyes. Because you could get damage to your eyes mm. from just looking at the sun, even though the entire sun itself is obscured. Mm. 
He said, I thought it was related to UV light coming from the corona and entering your eyes through dilated pupils, resulting in much more damage to your retina. Pupils dilate in response to lower intensity of visible light. So the theory Mm. is that the sun's corona is still visible, so there's still UV light coming from it. You see that everything is dim and your iris opens up to compensate. This lets in still more UV that does damage to your retina. Now, the sun is a gas and the Corona of the no, sun not. is the plasma. Oh, oh, I've not the gas. The sun is a plasma. You heat, you heat a gas even further, it becomes a plasma, and you remove all the electrons. It's a very similar, it's a hot gas, but it's not, it's a plasma. It's a fourth state of matter. Oh, I've been put in my place. <laughs> oh, well, I'll just continue on anyway. I'm not putting on your place, I'm just, so, just trying to correct the thing. <laughs> so, the corona of the sun is a gas, and the sun. Let's stop it. It's not. <laughs> What are you talking about? They are both very hot. They're both very hot, but yes. <laughs> it's not a gas. Weirdly, it's, like it's a gas. Weirdly, the corona is much hotter than the sun. Yes. But that's an oddity that we do not have time to delve into. That's right, no. Now, the sun, we say it's a gas. No, we don't. But it's actually plasma. <laughs> God damn it. <sighs> so. No one that's... says it's a gas. Who says it's a gas? Oh, look, textbooks from 40 years ago. <laughs> And listeners, like our dumbest listener, this is uh, new information to them. Oh, for goodness. Have no one ever heard of the They Might Be Giants? Yeah, the they, sun is a massive incandescent gas. And then they wrote another song, so the sun is a miasma of incandescent plasma. We're sorry if you got it wrong before. What did I tell you about not listening to new music? <laughs> I haven't listened to any new songs since 1996. I think this came out in... <laughs> it's not a new song. Anyway. At any rate, mm. the sun is a miasma. A whole miasma it's, of it's plasma. A miasma. Of incandescent plasma, true. Uh, its surface is super hot and emits electromagnetic radiation in the true. vision range. Yes. So it looks yellow. If there's too much light, it just looks to white. But eyes. that's your inferior eyes dropping the ball. Now, the corona is a much less dense upper atmosphere of gas. Stop it. Why are, you, why are we leaning into this? It's not a gas. It's not a gas. It's like saying... The ground of the Earth is definitely liquid. Look, it's just one state of matter so away. So you're planting your flag and you're saying the corona of the sun is a miasma. It's not a gas. I'm going to say it's a plasma. Yes. So you're miasma. planting that flag. Yes. You're planting that flood. You're standing yes. by that. That's yes. the hill you're going to die on. Yes. Excellent. It's millions of degrees, Dan. Like, it's it doesn't... Anyway, go on. Let me tell you about the corona of the sun. Please. It's broken up into five types of corona. The Mm. continuum corona, the emission corona, the Fraunhofer thermal and sublimation coronas. The emission corona is too weak to see. It results from ions in the plasma absorbing and re-emitting energy. Mm -hmm. So you end up with all these unique spectral lines. We don't have to worry about them but it does help scientists learn what other elements are in our star based on the difference in those waves. Mm -hmm. Now, the K-corona, the photosphere is a cloud of free electrons that gets less and less dense as it goes out. Photons of light hit these electrons and bounce off in random directions. Mm. Now, they don't actually bounce. No. They interact with them. Yes, they're absorbed and re-emitted. Yes, it's not as in... Yeah. So these are photons from the sun coming to our eyes... And this looks like a homogenous cloud of light around the sun. Mm -hmm. 
That's a miasma. No, sorry, that's plasma. <laughs> that's yeah, that's plasma. That bit's plasma. The oh, F so, corona. I'm so glad we're un- we're, we're disambiguating. That's not the right word. I'm so glad we're making this clearer. <laughs> the F corona, the Fraunhofer corona, right. is the sunlight reflecting off the dust around the sun. Also, not a gas. Yes. It, too, appears homogenous to our eyes. It's much bigger than the K-corona. The brightness closest to the sun is from the K-corona, but the brightness further out is from the F. Right. Now, the thermal corona is also from dust. There's no gas at all here. (laughs) Oh, wait. The thermal corona is also from dust grains, but they are from where the dust gets close enough to the sun to not just reflect light, but absorb heat and re-emit it. Yes. So, like uh, something coming out of a kiln. Yeah, okay. Or a smelter, maybe. Yes. smelter. Sure. So, these dust grains get so hot that they change from a very hot solid into a gas. I wonder if that's a plasma as well. It'd be a plasma. Uh, At any rate, the sublimation (laughs) corona is from dust turning into gas. So, five (laughs) different types of, of thing. Each one is its own type of corona. Yep. Now, during a solar eclipse, we only really see the K corona. These are photons coming from the sun. Mm-hmm. They're bouncing off stuff, but they're coming from the sun. If they weren't photons, we wouldn't be able to see them. That's what seeing is. Yes. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. So, there is electromagnetic radiation in the visible spectrum. There's also UV and infrared. So, the potential for damage to the eyes from the corona is there. Now... There's not Mm. heaps of information out there on this, but I did find a valuable source in Dickland. (laughs) Sure. So, Richard Land works at the Shepherd's Eye Research Institute. Okay. But he goes by Dick. Mm -hmm. There are serious risks, he says, from looking at an eclipse in a partial state. Yes. Yes. The radiation to the eye during the total or dark part of the eclipse is less than when viewing the full moon, and that is safe for viewing for many minutes. Mm -hmm. And a total solar eclipse rarely lasts seven minutes. Mm -hmm. Now, partial eclipses are more dangerous than total eclipses. Yes. You can use solar eclipse glasses to look at a partial eclipse. These reduce the amount of UV and infrared light to zero and the visible light by 99%. Astronomers tend to agree that solar glasses are perfectly safe, but then they've got skin in the game, haven't they? <laughs> I see. We're passing. Okay. No. What? No. It's fine. Well, this mm. is why I say this. Optometrists mm. tend to advise against taking unnecessary risks. Mm. At least the ethical ones do. Mm. They tend to advise against looking at partial eclipses entirely. Instead, they suggest using a pinhole camera, which is really cool because you get a piece of paper and you put a pin through it and you hold it up and the light that comes through uses that pinhole as a focus and it shows you what the yes. what the partial eclipse looks like. Sure. So you get a circle with a little wedge out of it. Yes. Looking at a partial eclipse through solar glasses is very unfulfilling. Mm-hmm. You'll see... Total black with a clear white crescent. If you use a pinhole on a piece of card, you can see the light come through and see a dark surface with a clear bright crescent. Mm. Both very similar experiences. So, should you trust the astronomers who say that you should definitely look at partial eclipses with eclipse glasses or the optometrists who say don't risk it? 
If you ask me, you can only really trust podcasters' advice about looking at the sun safely. Yeah. So trust your old pals, Greg and Dan, from Smart Enough to Know Better, a subsidiary of the Smart Enough to Know Better Vision Rehabilitation Centre. <laughs> can I point out that, that in my old role, I did this a lot. I had a sun filter, put it on a telescope every day, and would take students out and look at the sun with a filter. If you have the right filter, you're perfectly safe. I'm just going to point that out there. there. There's no problem. You have to make sure you have the right filter, though, and that you're not just wearing a welding mask or something you bought off the internet. Make sure you have the right filter. Do your homework first. It is perfectly safe if you have the right filter because it cuts out all the wavelengths of light that can hurt you and leaving the sun and you can see sunspots and all the other things. You can do it safely. Think, listeners, we can hear which side of the astronomers and opticians Greg is deciding. <laughs> put, put it this way. If I, if I was going to have gone blind, I'm the person who would have gone blind because I did it all the time, like through filters. I did it safely, looked through, not even partial, I looked directly at the sun through a telescope with a filter on it. I would have gone blind by now. And it just, it hasn't happened. I just don't, if you do it properly, it's perfectly safe. Filter glasses is different. Again, this is a glass filter in in my case, an expensive one. It costs like $250 Australian. It was quite expensive. The issue with eclipses, as far as I'm aware, I mean, partial eclipses, absolutely don't look at them with with a naked eye, even if it's like 80% or something, because your eye won't contract enough and you just don't do it just don't do it you can still be damaged by looking at an eclipse but not when the moon is directly i'm talking about a total eclipse here what happens is that you have to be ready you have to know how long it is because the moment you get what's called the diamond ring you get that blast yeah, of light the sun comes back and your eyes like your eyes wide open like you're high on drugs and then certain drugs and allegedly then you suddenly get a blast in the eye and that could do damage. You have to be ready for it and be aware. You just, you don't just stare at it crazily. The other one you have to be careful about is what's called an annular eclipse is when the moon doesn't quite cover the sun and you get the ring around it perfectly, not just mm. the corona, but the actual ring. So it's still a, it's a, it's not considered a partial eclipse. It's an annular eclipse. I wouldn't be looking at that particularly with my, with my, uh, with a naked eye either. Oh, no, 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 you don't want that. But your eye's generally pretty good at detecting, oh, yeah, that shouldn't... That, yes. Like, if, if there's any discomfort at all, that's t- time to turn away. That's right. Look away as fast as you can. Exactly right. Or at least unfocus the, to blur your vision. <laughs> the thing I noticed, though, is every time I would say to students, okay, we're going to be looking at the sun now, every student I've ever met, there was always... Every, not every student, so every class, there's always a percentage of them who just instantly stare at the sun. We're going to look at the sun now and they just turn their faces. And even if I say, hey, don't, don't, don't look at the sun, they instantly want to stare at the sun. It's almost, it's just this bizarre Pavlovian almost. It's we forget crazy. it's there. And someone says, hey, the sun. You're like, oh, oh damn it. Oh, that's right. That's why yeah, I don't yeah. look at that. So, and I always say, hey, don't look at it. Never, 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 never look at it. But we are going to be looking at the sun soon or using a telescope to look at the sun. I even try and change the language of how I speak. And it instantly, out of 20 kids, two or three of them just go, ooh, ooh, you know, every time. Yeah, dummies. Yeah. Uh, No adults would be dumb enough to do that. Oh, you'd be surprised. (laughs) Um, Now, all my prep for this kept telling me that the corona was actually gas. (laughs) Like, obviously, I know that the sun is not gas. Mm. It's plasma. Mm -hmm. But I didn't read ever in there that it was a plasma. So are you, I mean, 
I guess yes. this is your field. Yes. But- um, yes, it's so, a plasma. So, the pl- so pl- none of it cools down. No, it gets hotter, remember. Gas. It's hotter because, well, they think it's got to do, the idea, the, but, the but, standing uh, idea is that it's pumped, more energy is pumped into it from magnetic fields. So the more, the hotter it becomes, it means the electrons get enough energy to run away. So there's no electrons. It's, they're, they're, it's just, it's just, uh, protons basically doing their proton thing, if it's hydrogen anyway. So yeah, okay. it's, it's a plasma. It's, it's, so, does, so what about the, the dust? That's like, that, that's a, that's little a physical tiny thing. Bits of that's, solid. That's, that's a bit of solid. solid. That's, that could now, that gets, I don't know what the dust, I mean, it's just, it's just, just call it dust. I, yes, it could it heat up and then turn into a liquid, turn into a gas. Probably not. I'm happy to be wrong. Walk like if you had water, if you had little yes. tiny flecks of water. Yes. That were solid. Yes. And they got close Ice. to the sun. Yes. That would turn into water for a little bit. And then it would turn into it would dissociate. It was so much energy that the hydrogen and there was H2O, two hydrogen and an oxygen. The energy from the photons would smash those hydrogen and oxygens right out of alignment, well before you got anywhere close to the sun. And so just hydrogen and you'd have oxygen, and then it would knock the electrons off. If if they didn't happen in reverse, actually, the electrons are all stripped away, and then it breaks the bonds. Probably in that order. I'm not a chemist, Uh, so you would then have free floating oxygens and hydrogens and they would be a plasma because a plasma is a superheated gas that has lost its electrons. Electro- it's technically an ele- electrically conductive superheated gas, but it's not. It's a separate plasma. Yeah. All right. So my take on that is no, it's all plasma, baby. If I threw you into the sun or into the corona, here's the cool thing, actually. Here's the cool thing about the corona. Yeah. If I threw you into the corona right now, if I could put you in a spacesuit and yep. put you into the, suddenly put you into the corona of the sun. So boop, you're in the corona. I just of the saw sun. his eyes light up yeah, too, listeners. He's, he's sick of this conversation. I am. And, uh, no, no, <laughs> I, but I, don't, I really don't want to edit this podcast. So I'm not, I'm not going to do it right now. So, but can you tell me when you finish editing and, and then, um, and then that'd be great. How would you die if I put you into the corona of the sun and you had a spacesuit on? Um, no, can't think of a joke answer. Um, <laughs> I I would boil alive. Yeah, that's in what you the think, suit. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I'd, I'd heat up mm-hmm. and all my blood would get super warm and mm-hmm. I would pass out and boil to death. And you'd bake quietly. That's that's because you think you well. The corona is sometimes hundreds of thousands, if not millions of degrees. It feels that you go, hmm, you wouldn't. You'd actually- Oh, but there's no convection. There's no convection. No, it's only radiation. radiation. Only radiation, exactly. So So the other side of me would be nice and cool. And you would actually probably freeze to death in the corona of the sun. And here's the theory why. What? We think of temperature in our world around like the temperature of the room or the temperature of the desk that you're sitting at or whatever the drink you're drinking. But really what temperature is or what, how, what is temp, where does temperature come from? How, what is temperature? Uh, the excitement of atoms? Yeah. Things moving. Exactly right. It's the kinetic energy of the thing. So yeah, I heard uh, a thermometer is like a, um, a speed gun for atoms. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And, and averaging out over, over volume. Exactly. Temperature is just how, how much violence, how violently something is shaking, really. And we'd experience it as a temperature, but really it's lots of molecules running into you, billions of molecules running into you from the air, and you, that's your air temperature. Or the coffee has very excited water molecules and other things, and mm. they're super excited, and that's hot coffee. The corona of the sun, even though it's next to the sun, is still actually very diffuse, and you're only talking about one hydrogen atom. It's roughly like a cubic meter or something like that. 
So it's very, very, very diffuse. It may be slightly more, it may be bigger than that actually, but not by much. Like one, let's say a 30 centimeter cube, maybe something like that. But I'm really pulling some old information out of my head here. That is a really thin gas. That's, it's very diffuse. It's a very, don't, it's not a, God, it's, it's a very thin plasma. And so what happens is that, let's say that hydrogen atom, maybe that's in space that you're now next to, it may be vibrating violently, so violently that if you measured it, that violence, you would say, Oh, it's a hundred thousand degrees. But just like if I was standing one and a half meters away from you, it would make no difference. If Mike Tyson was standing one and a half meters away from you, or I was standing one and a half meters away from you, if I swing my fist, it would have the same level of damage to you as Mike Tyson, as in none, because it's too far away. It can't physically hit you. So it can't transfer the energy of mm. the molecule to you. Mike Tyson, it can, of course, could beat you much more soundly than I ever could. But if he can't touch you, he can't hurt you. So the hydrogen atom, the hot plasma, can't transfer its energy to you from itself. So if I was dropping into the sun, though, as I was getting closer to the sun, would the energy, the radiant energy from the sun... You'd also have photons of light hitting you as well. Yes, that's exactly right. It would be photonic pressure. But the corona itself wouldn't be actually heating you up. Man, that is a gas. (laughs) I'm going to allow this. Welcome to the Walk of Shame segment. Oh, no, of the- sorry, sorry. No, I, I don't have any. Sorry, Greg. No, no Walk of Shame this week. This is the part no. of the podcast where when one of us makes a mistake, or you, the listeners, will get in contact and explain why uh, we made that mistake. Oh, shit. Usually, I get my ass handed to me week after week after week, and Dan just sits there looking like a smug bugger. This time... I just have resting smug face. <laughs> This time, Dan, strap in because friend of the podcast, Eloise, has something that she would like oh, to say. Oh, she's got it out for me. She, well, look, look, she, yep. Half of my walk of shame's come from her. She yep. never contacts me. Yep, but she loves it. So I'm just going to read her email. It's it's a good email. So I'm just going to read it. All right, <clears> go on. Hey, Greg, I do love it when Dan so flippantly declares that he'll never be walk of shamed on the podcast. It's almost as silly as declaring nothing can possibly go wrong in a rom-com or let's run upstairs and hide under the bed in a horror film. Sure, Dan, nothing you say can ever possibly come back to haunt you. Dot. I stand by that. Dot. (laughs) I stand by that, even while these dots are coming at me. Now, let's talk about rabbits in Queensland. Dan claimed on the latest podcast, it wasn't actually, but anyway, now that's fine, claimed on a recent podcast that there is only one way to own a rabbit in Queensland, emphasis on one here, and that's as a stage magician. While it's true that residents of Queensland, Australia, can in fact own a rabbit for the purposes of magic, it's not the only reason. Under the Ooh, exhibited animals- what, sorcerer? Wizard? <laughs> a witch. Stagehand? What are those ladies who stand next to the to the magicians called? Sexy assistant. That's the they one. They can be dudes now too, though. You can have a sexy assistant who's a dude. They would look weird in the one piece though, right? Moving on. Under the Exhibited Animal Act of 2015, there are multiple reasons a person may own a rabbit, such as for educational, entertainment, and research purposes. Educational may include wildlife displays. A biologist may travel with a number of different animals to schools and museums to provide talks and seminars. Entertainment can include circus acts and magic acts. And research could include numerous reasons, such as research into diseases, vaccines, environmental impacts, etc. So thank you, Dan, for your hubris as always. It's always fun. It's always a fun challenge accepted moment. Eloise. 
Congratulations, Eloise. That's a great walk of shame. I will take that walk. <laughs> it never occurred to me that people were messing with rabbits in Queensland scientifically. So when you take this walk, you're going to wear like a sexy assistant onesie? No, nah, just a cotton tail. Nice. So when, ladies and gentlemen, you hear one of us make a mistake, and it's probably quite a few in this episode, to be brutally honest, on both parts, then uh, you write in if Dan makes an error. You write into your old pal Greg at smartenough.org, just like Eloise did. And if Greg makes an error, send it to dan at smartenough.org. That's right. A bit confusing. Whichever one it is, you send it to the other one, or just send it to the podcast and we'll work it out. But it's much more fun if you can send it to the right person. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. Also, Greg, at smartenough.org. If you would like to support the podcast, get along to the website and interact with the community on the comments. Absolutely. Press the buttons. Buttons. We love buttons. Ah, good to have a button. Tell us. Just tell someone. Tell people about it. Tell people about it. Two people in T-shirts telling everyone they love buttons. It's very true. I recently had a bit of a weird moment where someone I work with used my Gregoire and it confused me because I wasn't in that mode at all. And I was like, uh, and I was like, sorry. And they're like, oh yeah, the podcast. I was like, ah, which I also didn't bring up. But (laughs) so I was like, that was weird. So I had to go, no, no, Gregoire only lives in this podcast. He only comes to life in the ears and minds of our listeners. And And other places. And other places and as well. certain very old and poorly written web comics. <laughs> if you would like to support the podcast, all those things, there are buttons there that allow you to do it. Yeah. Shirts, tip jar. If you sign up to the Patreon and give us a certain amount of money yeah. and clear that certain bar, then <sighs> we will read your name out on the podcast as we thank you. So big thanks to Ilana. Mi- oh, Ilana gets first dibs this time. Ooh. Ilana Mitchell, Andrew Trousdale, Gronya Maguire. Matthew Toy, Matt Ewers, Avi Greenbury, Andrew Potts, Ivan, Elizabeth Yunkin, Lindsay Jenkinson, Britta Rogowski, Christopher Revel, and Andrew, no, Christopher Revel. Is it, I, I, why can I not remember this? <laughs> I bet everyone else is reveling in it. Reveling in it? <laughs> reveling. I don't know. Also, thank you to Me Andrew no. Whitehurst. And thank you to Sean Seifkin, who somehow got lost in the mix. Uh, now, if you hit the next tier, oh, crazy. the top tier, mm. then you have also requested that I insult you. Very strange. Very strange. We don't understand why anyone does this. Yeah, is that true? But thank you. We appreciate it. Yes. Appreciate it very much. So, my wife and I are happily child-free. Ooh. So, these insults are about parenting, <laughs> which we, of course, know more about than other people. Look, you can... It look that's gonna that's gonna step in here. It is possible to be an expert in something that you can't do. There are many people like oncologists who never have cancer. You wouldn't say, well, just so have you ever had bowel cancer? No, no, I've never had bowel cancer. Well then I'm not gonna listen to you, bowel cancer doctor. Yeah, and, it's different for parenting, apparently. And children and bowel cancer are very similar. <laughs> I don't have that written down here, actually. <laughs> don't have that one. Uh Mikhail Kedar, you are a tiny knock at the door during intercourse. <laughs> oh, that's quite sweet. Oh. Robert Shilton, you are a deep rumble in a fresh nappy. Mm. Mm. Tom Seary, you're that little bit of unexpected vomit that somehow ends up in the wrong mouth. Oh, 
Steve Eichenhout, you are a pro heart painting in fecal matter. <laughs> I am actually told that I did this when I was a little tiny mm. toddler, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I can only assume I did an amazing job with my amazing job. <laughs> Steve Stewart, you are the silence that indicates something worse is happening. <laughs> Why are the kids fighting? What's going on? And Danny Sorez, you are a potentially innocent comment about genitals that may or may not indicate that perhaps Uncle Craig can't be trusted to babysit. Oh, oh. oh. no. Oh. And, of course, uh, oh, where's Michael Barnes, Morton O'Hare, Scott Driscoll, Al Batson and Eric Wilson? There you are. There you are. (laughs) So thank you to all the people from our top tier. Love it. For your donation. It allows us to do things with the podcast, like pay for web hosting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Put in invoices for the cost of the podcast uh, app and Absolutely. And also... Well, a thing that we do occasionally is we recently gave some money to Wikipedia. We did, yes. Which is one of our favourite resources here at Smart <laughs> Enough to Know Better. Yep. If you get a lot of value out of something on the internet that isn't evil, give it a little bit of money. That's true. Because if they don't get money, they have to advertise, and yeah, then it's evil. the advertisers <sighs> get a little bit more control and of their thing on Wikipedia. The you become oh, it's terrible. Uh, and then you look up McDonald's on Wikipedia, and it's like, McDonald's is the best food in the world. Yeah, don't do that. We always say, of course, Wikipedia is the start of your search, not the end, but it's a good place to start. It's a good place to start. Yep. And as we always like to say... My Corona! Took me about six notes, and then I'm like, I know where this goes. <laughs> and hopefully even our dumbest listener is, uh, <laughs> got there as well. I watched a couple of Cobra Kai and went, this is garbage. I don't get it. I don't understand. It's like someone put lead in the water and everyone's got a brain injury. I, I'm missing something. I'm not saying it's not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I don't get it. This is the same universe where the scarecrow managed to poison the water supply with fear toxin. <laughs> right. right, yeah. It's so cheesy and all the characters are so dumb. Mm. If you can get past that, and that's a big if <laughs> for a lot of people. But if you can get past that, it's quite a clever show about the culture of bullying and how bullies exist. Like the whole thing is about bullying and why everyone feels like they're wronged Mm. and everyone feels like they're justified in doing what they're doing. Mm. And all the people who got bullied then get the skills to bully in return. And it's about how violence is never the answer because everyone's learning karate and no one's solving any problems. Serenity. Serenity? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, with, with, with the girl with the amazing yeah, powers. Yeah. And it's like, oh, so what are these amazing powers? Oh, she can kick she, She's now. real good at karate. And I was like, what? Like, so that you did 40 surgeries on her brain to turn a girl into a girl who can kick real high and kick you and stab you to death. I went, well, surely you could just train humans to do that. In my mind, it's like a bar scene where she activates and starts killing everyone in the bar. And I was like, eh, it's funny. And it was like, oh, my God, River's gone crazy. And I went, 
it'd be much more exciting and terrifying if you just stood there and then people just started dying from a from a radius moving outwards and you just go we have yeah. definitely talked about this before. And, I think we came up with this together. Right, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And at any moment, you could kill anyone in a room and you have to run away from her. It's such a silly concept, but they just wanted that actor to get down to skippy clothes and do high kicks. I mean, that's just what it was. So, but the showrunner had such a, like a good attitude towards women. <laughs> to women. Right. That's that serenity. Yeah. yeah. Well, her, ma- her amazing power is wearing a skirt and lifting her legs real high. Towards the camera. S- sorry, what What was that, Joss? <laughs> K- karate. Okay. <laughs> Do I just go, my corona? That is the worst song to select at karaoke. It fucking goes off for like a minute 45. Yep. And then there's like a minute of musical interlude. Yeah. And then... <laughs> You say my corona once and mm-hmm. then the song's over. <laughs> you just do the good bit and then tell the guy, just fade it out from here. Just, and that's, I'll, I'll, I'll be yeah, fine. Yeah. Yep. We're done. <laughs>